Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. Well, what would you do if um, you knew the end of the world was coming, like in a couple days, like in, let's just say, let's say Wednesday. The world's going to end Wednesday. Uh, I'd probably sell some Bitcoin. Um, I'd, probably, I'd probably give Popeye's chicken a shot. I mean, I feel like Chick-fil-A won't mind. It's the end of the world if I cheated a little bit. On, on our relationship. I, I feel like I give Popeyes a shot. And I would, I would confess, I'd tell my dad the truth, that I've actually, I actually like the Green Bay Packers more than the New York Giants. I think I would, <laughs> I think I would confess that. But since we don't know if it's gonna be Wednesday, we can keep that secret just here between us. Since I like my relationship with my dad, so let's not, let's not let that out. But um, we'll wait till the end of the world. But, I, you know, I don't know what you would do. I, as Christians, if, you're, if you've subscribed to follow Jesus, if, that's, if he's your lead in your, in your life, you know that when you think about the end of the world, it's him returning. Like, that's when the beginning of the end times really kind of kick off big time. He comes back. He fulfills that promise that he would come back. And uh, I don't know. You'd probably want to sin less if you knew it was coming Wednesday. You'd probably be a little bit more careful and what you're doing, what you're thinking about, right? You, you'd, you'd probably pray more. Uh, well, you know what's interesting? There's actually a very specific verse in the Bible where God gives us his heart for us should we be the generation that happened to be alive for that moment. Uh, but it's phrased a little differently, and it comes to us through the author of this letter, uh, Peter, First Peter. And in verse 7, he says this, uh, The end of all things is near, therefore... Notice he doesn't say, if you're alive during the end of all things, therefore, or you should. He actually says, it is actually near. You know, I used to read things like this, because this kind of language is all over the New Testament. I mean, it's like every author has got something in there about the end being near. And I used to read it like, ah, they were a little off, you know, like 2,000 years off is how I would read it. And I would kind of skim it like it was just one of those things that they missed. They maybe missed the point of when Jesus was talking about this. Until I had lunch with um, someone, I guess several years ago, and it was, a, it was kind of a weird lunch. He's a good guy, but he was sharing, me, sharing with me this vision he had where he felt like Jesus told him in a dream, like, you're going to be alive when I come back. And so he believed that, and it changed the way he started to live and do all these things. And I got in my car after the lunch, and started driving away with all those verses coming to me in my head about why he's wrong and why it probably wasn't Jesus in a dream. It was probably a weird taco he ate or something. It probably, you know, Jesus, you know, even the father, only the father knows, you know, when he's coming back, you know, no one knows, no one knows. So I started, and those are all true. I mean, that is reality, but I, I felt like there was another batch of scriptures that came rushing to memory Along these, along these lines, as if Jesus was telling me and intervening in that moment, he was asking, Brian, do you live every day? Do you live every day as though I could come back? If not for the world, for you? I mean, isn't that the reality? And that's why the whole New Testament is written this way. Like, at any given day, Jesus could come back, but also we could go to him. 
I mean, it's, it's, an, it's hard to think about, but it's one missed red light, one missed stop sign, one stray arrow, one slip on the ice away. I mean, this is re- reality. We don't have control. Things just happen. You live long, en- long enough, you realize that in life. Any day, we could meet him. He could come back. But it's also like this. Jesus' return. You know, he could come back at any moment. I mean, that is all throughout Scripture. At any time, he could come back. Um, I'm going to talk to the guys in the room because that's my experience. I don't know, uh, ladies, how the, you experience this, but this has been what, some of my experience. So I was just talking to the guys. I don't know if this ever happens to you guys. Like if, when your wife or your girlfriend, um, when uh, you're going to go on a date, you're going to go do something. And uh, she says, you should say, hey, just get in the car. You can go back out of the garage and everything. I'll be right out. I just need five minutes. Just throw some makeup on and, and do the hair. I'll just be right out. Just be like a minute. And so you get in the car. You back out of the garage and it's been like five minutes and you think to yourself it's been five minutes surely she's just right she i'm not gonna get out of the car because she's probably it's been five minutes like she's probably just gonna walk right out and then it's been 10 minutes and you're like well it's been 10 minutes it's been 10 minutes i mean i might as well just wait because any minute now i mean surely now And it's been 15 minutes. And you're like, well, surely any second now. I mean, it's been 15 and then it's 20 and so on, right? Like this is just how it goes, right? And then she comes out, right? When you get out of the car and you're about to go in, she comes out. Uh, that's kind of how it is. We're at any minute. And, and in some sense, the longer time passes, the more you go any minute it could be. That's how we're to read the New Testament and how to think And so what do we do? What does the text tell us to do? Therefore, what? Knowing that that's true, therefore, be alert and sober mind so that. Now it goes on, but let's just park here for a second. Alert and sober mind. Uh, What he's saying is this. You want to get logical? If you rational thinking people out there, you're not a wacko, crazy fanatic. You're not, you know, all over the place. Uh, you're, you're, you're a rational thinking person. You want to get rational? You want to be logical in life? Live like any minute now, after lunch, tonight, tomorrow morning, next weekend. Jesus could come back. The end of everything for your life at least is over. That's the most rational, logical way to live. And he talks about being of sober mind, though, which is interesting. Every commentary you'll read on that passage, most of them will tell you what he's talking about there is don't be, don't be crazy in that, you know, don't sell all the Bitcoin, you know, or don't, don't go on a street corner, don't, you know, double mortgage the house and live uh, unwise lives, lives. I mean, you know, plan ahead, make plans, open a savings account, Save for the future. Be wise. Be a sober-minded person. You know, he's talking to the people who think about the end of the world means they got to go crazy and do crazy stuff. That's not what sober-mindedness is. So be, be a rational thinking person. In fact, Martin Luther, uh, regarding even this passage and his interpretation of it at one point, was asked, what would you do if tomorrow the world was going to end? Someone asked that to Martin Luther. You know what he said? He said, I'd plant a tree and pay my taxes. He said, I'm just going to do what I'm going to, I'm going to be a logical, rational person that is going to make wise decisions in my life. I'm going to live wisely the way God's commanded me to in most of this book, but I'm going to be alert. 
What, what, what do you think about when you think about being alert? So you're not doing crazy stuff, but you're, you're, you're alert, you're aware. What my professor said it this way, and uh, I don't know if it's his direct quote, I don't think he actually said this, but I just remember him saying this, and I have it on the screen here, and he says, make every big decision. Make every big decision in your life in a graveyard. Because that's where you're gonna end up one day. When you have a big decision, what will it mean to you when you're six feet under this, this dirt? What will matter in that big decision when you're six feet underground? What will you be glad you decided with your life, with your time, with your bank account, when you're under the ground? Make your big decisions there because that's where you're gonna end up one day. Here's what he's saying, be alert, be aware. Don't be caught shocked. And that's the first thing we get, be aware. Don't be caught shocked that this thing was gonna happen, that we were gonna, that the end was gonna happen. Be aware, that's number one, that's point number one. Uh, number two, let's keep reading here though. He also says, so that, so that what? So that you might pray. Uh, as a pastor, you have the high honor, the sacred honor of being with people in their brightest moments, and uh, their darkest hours. And I, I have been with people in their, their last minutes of life. And, and they are sacred moments. They are beautiful moments in many ways at times. They are incredibly hard moments, all at the same time, sometimes. But one of the things that's true is that when I'm with someone who is coherent, lucid, and I'm with them in their, in their last minutes, their last hours even. They wanna to talk to God. That's why I'm there. They wanna be in conversation with him. In the end, when it comes, be finishing a conversation you just had with God. Don't string together days, hours, where you're not talking to God. If you're really logical and rational and alert and of sober mind that the end is imminent at any given point in your life, you will want to be talking with who you're about to be face to face with. But then he says this, this is fascinating. He says, above all, even above all? Like, what do you mean by above all? He just says, above all. It's like, okay, what's above all? Wouldn't you wanna know, right? Wouldn't you wanna know? <laughs> The end is near. It's going to be Wednesday or whatever. Above everything else. Ready for this? Love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one speaks for the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. That above all. So above all, be involved in church, right? Number one, be aware. Number two, pray. Be talking to God. Don't be caught at the end being MIA with God. And number three, get involved deeply in the church. 
That's the whole context of this. Who is he writing to? Who is Peter writing to? Who is he talking to? Christians, the church, people in the church. And he's saying, to, at the end of all things, above all, be involved with each other. It's very practical. I mean, I'm going to break down a few things here, just a couple things that come out of this. A dense, this is a very dense above all passage, but let me break down a few things here. The first, he says, is above all, love deeply. Now, the reason we have to add the word deeply there is because we only have one word for love in the English language. So you can love pizza. You can love the Packers more than the Giants. You know, if you want to spread that rumor. Um, you can love your kids. And you probably should love your kids more than pizza, right? But we only got one word for love. That's it in English. In the Greek, they have four. And the word that is used there is the most profound. It's, it's the one that is always usually in the context of suffering, pain. It is the love that costs you. You'll love someone too much to let them, to let them go. You're going you're gonna to sacrifice. You're going to serve. You're going to give up what you have so that they might be better off. It's a kind of love. It's not feelings. It's not good vibes. It's not romantic. It's a love that's willing to die for the other. That's the kind of love. Don't be caught in the end leaving a church because it's hard to love the people. Ooh. Don't be caught not in a deep, sacrificial love for your local church. If, if loving the people in your church or loving the people that spiritually God's put in your life as a part of the body, if it's causing you, if it's costing you, if, it's, if you're bearing with one another at times, you're probably doing it right. <laughs> Look, I, people ask me all the time, they say, Pastor Brian, what's the secret to this thing, this whole thing, Alliance? What makes Alliance, Alliance? What, what, you know, I got a front row seat watching my dad, who was the senior pastor that came here 25 years ago and started here when the church was just a couple hundred people on a block in, on Durkee Street in Appleton to this. What, what transpired? What was the secret sauce? You know what I often point to? It's particularly the old people. Honestly, because people stick around here. We, we've been through some hard stuff together. People disagree with each other. As leaders, I mean, I'll make decisions that make it hard for you to stay sometimes. But you know what? They do. People stay. I watch people stick with my dad. I watch people stick with the leaders here, stick with each other. They, they just don't quit on each other. And they go through seasons where things are great, and they go through seasons where, like, I don't like that. But they keep coming. They keep praying. They keep serving. They keep loving. They keep tithing. And I, I tell people, that's the secret sauce, is these people, God has deposited in these people an agape love. And I, if you're new here today, if this is your first time, and you're looking for a church, I mean, our kids' ministry, our youth ministry, our, our adult ministry, all the different ministries, are, are better than, I'll put them up against any church in the country. They're amazing, incredible leaders. But let me tell you why I would say stay, stick around. It's these people here. Man, they will forgive you. They will overlook a multitude of your brokenness with their kind of love. 
I've seen people go through stuff, marriages that end or that things that happen and they just, people keep loving them, they keep sticking around. I'm telling you, that's the secret. That's, that's what God is blessing. It's the love. It's community. It's doing life together. Get in their homes. People open their homes up. You got to do that. I'm having my uh, elders over this week in my house. And I'll be honest with you, <laughs> my house is not that big. So it's like going to be really cozy and kind of funny and awkward. But, um, but I, we got to do this. You got to let people in your house. It's very practical. But then he says this, though. He says, he talks about serving one another, using your gifts to serve one another. Um, look, at, look at the way he puts it here. I'm going to read this, actually. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. So let me just pause there. Let me, let me break that down. Um, reaching lost people, reaching the world that it needs, people, needs hope, the mission, it's a team sport. Can I tell you one of the reasons why we say to invite people? It's not, be, it's not because we're trying to grow a crowd. It's because everywhere in Scripture, I see that discipleship, helping people grow spiritually, takes a body of all different gifts, all different kinds of stuff. It's a team sport. Yeah, we're going to send you out Monday through Saturday to meet coworkers and neighbors and talk to them and be there when they go through tragedy and pray with them, invite them into your home. But then maybe bring them out where you can have other people with other gifts, words of encouragement, words of wisdom, can teach other gifts of hospitality and serving, other kinds of gifts that can help them grow and put their hands on the gospel that opens the door to Christ. It's a team sport. It's both a sending and a bringing. We see that with the disciples. Jesus sent them out, not one by one, but two by two or by in threes. He sent them out in groups and then he, and they bring people back to Jesus. This is what it was. It's a going and a bringing. It's both. It's the ministry. It's a team sport. And we all need the different kind of gifts. You know, I, I do this. Um, I don't know if people know. I don't do it every Sunday because sometimes I have a lot going on. But um, I like to sit out in, in the crowd. I like to kind of sit out. And it's not just because during the worship time, it really helps me kind of get my heart and my spirit, you know, right where it needs to be. And I need to be really just focusing on, on God and on just his truths and singing those, just like David said, not just to him, but even to myself. That's, that's not the only reason I do this. And I do this to remind myself and, and anybody that is, that is watching that I am just, just one. I'm just, I'm just one, one gift. I got, I got, you talk to my team. I'm a one trick pony. You give me 20 hours, I can teach a little bit, but that's about it. <laughs> I mean, this is, I'm just one. I'm just one. And honestly, my teaching ability is shaped, bettered, improved because I'm living life with you guys. I mean, you don't think you speak it. You speak into my sermons. You, you guys contribute to this all the time. When you encourage me, you give me those words of encouragement. Some of you have the gift of hospitality. I get to go into your homes and hear your stories and they become a part of this. God shapes me through this community. And so in a way, you're participating this morning in something that you were a part of building. I'm just one ligament in the body. We need each other. You know, something else about gifts. Let me read this passage here. Let's, go, let's let the text do the talking here. Ready for this? Each of you should use whatever gift you have to re- you've received to what? Serve others as don't read the Bible so fast. Faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. God's grace comes in all shapes and sizes. But here's the job. 
uh, we're stewards. So to illustrate that, I've invited two of um, some of our, our smaller band members to come up here and join me for an illustration. So I want to make sure I present myself as a big, strong dude. So I, I purposely picked some really small guys to come up and help me with this. So uh, let me just, just to be really clear, okay, about this. <laughs> the longer you laugh, the harder it hurts. <laughs> so, all right, this is church, stop having fun. Okay, so here's the deal. This is so important that you get this. I had to show it to you this way. We, I'm gonna go real slow, but you need to hear this. This is, this is what the text is telling us, okay? A steward is the word that the English translates that to. It can also be translated like admin, like administrator, or um, manager, uh, middleman. It's, it's not boss. It's not CEO. It's not president. You're the admin. You do what your supervisor tells you to do. And what happens is this, is you have to be faithful to it, meaning you got to obey what your boss is telling you to do with what he's giving you. So when God gives you a gift... Here's the thing. He gives it to you, but then he tells you what to do with it. Then he tells you who to give it to. He, he directs it. Your job is to just give it away. Here's the thing. You want to use your gift? You want to open your gift? You want to enjoy your gift? Do you know how that happens in the Bible? It's when you give it away to bless somebody else. That's what you are. You're the middle person. So when it says, speak as though you have the words of God, who gets credit if I'm doing this right? Who gets credit when I'm doing this, this speaking thing right? It's God. He's the one. You, people leave here going, boy, God spoke to me. God's word, God, the text hit me. God was doing work in my heart. It's him that gets credit. Look, when was the last time you wrote a thank you note to the UPS guy when, you're, when your grandma sent you a gift or when your parents sent you a gift or when you, you got a gift from somebody? You don't, it, you're, they're just the middle person. They're just the delivery it's, I don't own it. It's not mine. I don't get to enjoy it and profit from it. Like, God, look, God didn't, Jesus did not go to the cross so Brian could have a job, so Brian could have a, a 401k or whatever. That's not why Jesus died. I'm here just doing a gift that God gave me. I'm just, I'm blessed and I am enjoying it when I'm giving it away for other people. Thank you guys for showing, showing that. Thank you. You can give him a round of applause. Thank you. I know it's a little gimmicky and elementary, but it's really important that you understand that if you've been given a gift, whatever it is, in all shapes and sizes, a service you can provide, something you can do, or a speaking gift of encouragement, wisdom, discernment, teaching, your job is to bless the church with it. It's a spiritual gift to be used in a spiritual community. It's what the church is. We're a spiritual body for a spiritual mission and purpose. That's the job. This is, uh, this is the way I would put it, is be faithful to use your gift, to give it away. Here's the thing, at the end of this message, I want you to hear this. You don't have time today. It's the end. I mean, this is not my words. It's not like the end is eventually, the end is actually really close. It's very near, it could happen at any minute meaning it's pretty much over. At any minute it can end. You don't have time to go out those doors and put off serving in the church, getting involved in community that is costly in the church. 
opening up your homes to people in the church in relationships, giving of, of your tithes and offerings to the church, serving, your, giving away your skills, your abilities to the church. You don't have time to walk out these doors and just walk past the people inviting you to serve in kids' ministry and youth ministry, people inviting you to join a small group in our men's or women's or major. You don't have time to just take a pass on that kind of deep love and ministry in the local church. These are not my words. This is what the text is telling us. Time is up. I uh, read a really interesting article this week, and actually as I share it with you, I'm gonna invite the, the band. They're gonna come up, and they're gonna close us out in a song after this. And uh, so as they make their way up here, I'll tell you a little about it. It's a, it, I got the picture of the article actually on the screen behind me here. This is it. Yeah, it's about super rich preppers. I just read this this past week. It was in The Guardian. Uh, they're planning to save themselves from the apocalypse. And actually, it was written by the guy that they invited to answer questions. The, guy, the author of this article is like a futurist, technologist, and social scientist. So basically, he looks at society. He looks at way out in the future. He looks at technology. And he tries to scenario out what's going to be the end. Like, how, is this, how could the end come quicker? How could we you know, stave it off a generation or two longer? And what happened was these billionaires, I mean, these are, these are incredibly wealthy, I mean, just incredible wealth. And so they invite them to come out to this remote location, pepper them with all kinds of questions because they're looking at the signs, maybe seeing some of the same things you are, the wars in the world, the, the incredible conflict we have in our civic institutions that are just starting to erode them and, and the ability to function, are all of a, the, the resource depletion in the world. They're looking at all this stuff and they're going, maybe in my lifetime, I'm gonna have to solve these problems or deal with this issue. And how do I prepare? And he describes the conversation. And I'm going to read you some of it. Finally, the CEO of a brokerage house explained that he had nearly completed building his own underground bunker system. And he asked, how do I maintain authority over my security force after the event? The event, that was their euphemism for the environmental collapse, social unrest, nuclear explosion, solar storm, unstoppable virus, or malicious computer hack that takes everything down. This single question occupied us for the rest of the hour. They knew armed guards would be required to protect their compounds from raiders as well as angry mobs. One had already secured a dozen Navy SEALs to make their way to his compound if he gave them the right cue. But how would he pay the guards once even his crypto was worthless? What would stop the guards from eventually choosing their own leader? The billionaires considered using special combinations of locks for on the food supply that only they knew, or making the guards wear disciplinary collars of some kind in return for their survival, or maybe building robots to serve as guards and workers if that technology could be developed in time. Their extreme wealth and privilege served only to make them obsessed with insulating themselves from the very real and present dangers. For them, the future of technology is about one thing, escape from the rest of us. Now what he says next is just fascinating to me because he basically sums up in some ways the point of the sermon. What he just described and what I just read to you was in many ways the logical end 
the, the reasonable conclusion of the American dream that many of us are tempted to fantasize about some days. Opulent fame and wealth and, and never having to worry about money again. But if it is true that the end is near and if it does come next week or tomorrow and things start to collapse, what then? This is the logical conclusion without Christ. But then he, even, even he kind of has a, a fraction of the answer to the problem. It's not the whole picture. I mean, this isn't the, the whole sermon. This isn't the whole point of my message. But he starts to kind of give almost a piece of the answer. He says this, I tried to reason with them. The way to get your guards to exhibit loyalty in the future was to treat them like friends right now. Don't just invest in ammo and electric fences. Invest in people and relationships. They rolled their eyes at what must have seemed to them like hippie philosophy. Did you just catch that? More powerful than ammo. More powerful than money. More powerful than fences. For your own survival. Friendships. To another level, that's the church, is that you don't need people just to survive down here. You need people to tell you about how to survive across the border from here. In heaven, how do you make it into eternity? The church exists to help people put their hands on surviving eternity, on the gospel. That's why we exist. That's everything we do. And this is, this is the reasonable thing we should do if the end is near. It's to invest in the community that not only is going to help us survive here, but it's going to help get the message to people on how to survive over there. And if that isn't motivating enough, this is the end of the whole article. On the way back to the main building, one of them showed me the layered security protocols he had learned in designing embassy properties. A fence, no trespassing signs, guard dogs, surveillance cameras, all meant to discourage violent confrontation. He paused for a minute and stared down the drive. And he said, quote, Honestly, I'm less concerned about gangs with guns. Then the woman at the end of the driveway holding a baby and asking for food. He paused and sighed. I don't want to be in that moral dilemma. Two thousand years ago, God stared down the end of his driveway from his mansion in heaven. And he saw you and me at the end of it. Not, not innocently, you know, holding a baby and without food, but starving and dying and shriveling away nonetheless, but sinning, happily so, shaking our fist at him, hating him, even refusing to even believe he exists. And rather than stay inside, he walked down to the end of that driveway He lived his life in the squalor and the mess that is this world. And then he paid the price absolutely necessary for you and me to go into the house, for us to live forever, endless amount of of happiness and joy and peace, a bottomless pit of hope. We live in that.
That's what we have access to. And it is the most reasonable thing we can do to spend our life here, not building up wealth so that we can defend it with ammo, but giving everything away and standing at the end of the driveway and helping people put their hands on the door that opens to Christ with everything we got. That's all there is. That's what you do when the end is near. In church, the end is near. And right now there are people at the end of our driveway that are in your neighborhood, that are at your place of work, that don't know, that are dying, that are starving. And your job is to go down there, get to know them, know their name, invite them into your house. Let the body of Christ begin to minister and care for them and bring them home. Church, the end is near. You don't have time. So when you walk out those doors, make time. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. You are not like the men, the people in that article. When you look down at the end of the driveway, you just came running. You threw yourself at the end of the driveway. You, you died with us. You lived with us. So, Lord, I pray that we would know we would know that we have nothing to lose by giving everything away for your kingdom and for your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and worship the King.